today on the Jay Doherty Podcast. Democrats fight it out in the most recent CNN New York Times Democratic debate. What frontrunners sped up, slowed down, and what that means for endorsements in the Democratic Party platform itself. Also, the U.S. House of Representatives started the impeachment inquiry full speed ahead, and now Nancy Pelosi thinks it might be time to slow it down. Does this prove or disprove the idea that the initial probe was just a stunt after all? Finally, we'll take a look at This Week in Media. On today's segment, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren has decided to make her campaign marketing a laughingstock for corporate companies. How did her campaign take advantage of Facebook's new policy without breaking their rules? Let's we'll all that and more on episode number 112 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 112. It is Friday, October 18th, a bright and early 8.02 a.m. for episode number 112 of this fine podcast. And there is so much to talk about this week, and we're going to get you uh, all of it and more on episode number 112 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. We'll start out with the 2020 Democrats. They are fighting it out. Or they fought it out in the most recent CNN New York Times presidential uh, debate. It was a very interesting debate, uh, and interesting people uh, showing up. And is in you know there was a, there was just an interesting kind of mix going on there. Uh, now that we've seen some of the more uh, prioritized candidates, we'll talk about my analysis and uh, how I've decided to analyze this debate uh, and my annotations throughout the debate that are that have differentiated from uh, past analysis. Uh, and then we'll also talk about. Uh, impeachment. Uh, initially, it was kind of slowed down for a day by uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, uh, and uh, you know the whole timeline, truth line thing, which we'll talk about. Uh, and then Mick Mulvaney and and Trump and Adam Schiff all sped it right back up again, and it's all to the White House's fault. Uh, and we'll also talk about Elizabeth Warren and her uh, Facebook ads. She's put out purposely and intentionally false. Uh, ads as as a kind of to exploit Facebook's very lenient policy about uh, putting out uh, false presidential ads or you know ads claiming false things. They've allowed it, and Elizabeth Warren took advantage of it as a joke, saying that Mark Zuckerberg endorses Trump. We'll talk about that, and then also another thing for the this week in media segment. Uh, Lara Trump, Lara Trump. I don't know. There's no U, so I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm pretty sure. I'm just gonna say L- uh, Lara. She made some very ignorant comments in a slew of, of ignorant comments uh, on on Fox Business, uh, and we'll look back at what she said in the past, and also. So um, this new comment that she made on Fox yesterday uh, that I happened to come across. Talk about all that and more on episode number 112 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. It's 8.04 and we're broadcasting live on the internet radio. Before we get to any of what I just said, we have to talk about what didn't make it on this show. And there are three things, all of our, all of which are very significant, uh, and all of which I could probably dedicate a whole entire show to, and perhaps I will, but we just have to you know mention them before I get into everything. First of all, Trump, uh, at least tentatively, has confirmed that um, the G7 summit is being uh, considered and most likely will be held at his Doral uh, Golf Club in uh, Miami. Uh, Democrats accuse uh, this whole thing as a constitutional violation. Trump says that he will not profit as a result of uh, them hosting it there. I don't know where that comes from, but 
He's saying that it would be a great place to host it. Kind of started as a joke, but perhaps now it is becoming real into fruition. Uh, Also, Rick Perry, as we've been talking about on the past couple of episodes of this podcast, has uh, confirmed that he will resign. Trump said that he already knew that that his resignation was coming for quite some time. He was touring a Louis Vuitton factory in Alvarado, Texas, which I don't know why the heck he's doing that, uh, other than for his campaign, when he officially confirmed that Mr. Perry, who has ties to this whole Ukraine mess, is leaving. I know Rick uh, has been with me three years. He's right here. He's with us right here. Uh, And he's been outstanding. And we already have his replacement. Rick has done a fantastic job at Energy. But it was time. Three years is a long time. And he'll be leaving toward the end of the year, at the end of the year. But he's, in fact, I was going to announce it tonight at the rally in Texas. We have the man that we're going to, it's a man in this case, uh, we're going to be putting in Rick's place in, we'll be announcing it very shortly. Okay, so, uh, I don't know, you kind of hear like Frank Sinatra or something in the background there, but yeah, it's no surprise, Rick Perry, this whole resignation uh, was going to come, it was just a matter of time, and uh, now it's been confirmed to be at the end of the year. The other thing that uh, did not make it on this podcast, except for a little bit at the end, is uh, the, the tensions between the Kurds and the Syrians are rising, and I have not talked about this on the past episode. I am not going to dedicate a whole segment to it on on the this segment just be, on this podcast, just because uh, for time reasons. Perhaps I will talk about it on the next podcast. It is a huge, huge crisis that is uh, definitely going to be looked back on poorly by history, uh, out of many, many things. Uh, but. Uh, you know, basically what's happening is the Kurds and the Syrians are fighting, the Syrians are backed by Russia, the Kurds are were backed by America, but no longer because Trump made the decision to quote-unquote bring back the troops. Uh, now, that is, in my very humble opinion, a very short-term strategy because, uh, you know, basically Russia is a maniac and they'll let you know, the Turks and, and, and the, the Syrians basically do whatever they want, and Russia com- completely has control over this entire war now that the United States has pulled out its two superpowers backing two smaller groups of people, two smaller countries, and now that one of them has pulled out, one that is arguably more powerful and certainly more fair, that being the United States has backed out, um, it's very, very dangerous, uh, very dangerous to the Kurdish people, our allies trying to fight off ISIS. You know, I don't really understand why Trump would do this. It's a very short-term strategy because if a war erupts there, basically the United States will have no choice but to send in way more troops than they ever had to pull out. So uh, what's happened so far is is Pence has taken credit, and so of course Trump was you know too busy touring the Louis Vuitton factory and speaking at a rally in Dallas that he couldn't uh, you know attend this whole mess. So he sent uh, Pence out there. And they negotiated a five-day ceasefire, but all. Countries continue to look for look to America as they have for the past hundred years for stability. Uh, the Turkish government doesn't even call it a ceasefire. They said it's actually a pause, so they're not using you know they get down to the semantics. Trump is taking all the credit for the ceasefire, uh, and Trump wanted to get the the Trump's er, the, the departure of the U.S. troops from Syria was so out of nowhere that we literally had to bomb one of our own bases to reduce the usefulness of that, and that's a quote. So the United States bombed their own base, our own base, because of the, you know, because the departure was so hasty. So, I mean, you know, lots of stuff uh, going on, and it was a very, very short-term strategy, closed-minded strategy to pull out American military aid from uh, that region. 
because, you know, I mean, there's just been so much damage uh, to the Kurds who are fighting off ISIS, and, and um, yeah, you know, as I've said before, and as I just said, Amer everyone looks for uh, looks to America for stability. It happened in World War II at the end. Uh, you know, it, it just America almost is constantly, even if if there's obviously there's been mistakes, uh, you know, kind of preemptively, but at, in the end of everything, America kind of ends up having the unlimited resources, you know, we have all the guns, we have all the money, we have this and that, and, you know, be, because we're such a superpower, we have to be very careful in delegating or not delegating that power, uh, and, and you know, aiding the, the people there, uh, and, you know, it's very dangerous, especially when you're out bombing your own ammunition, uh, but that's for a whole other episode, I don't want to waste too much of your time, we're already nine minutes in about, so we got to get to the lead story for today, which is the CNN New York Times Democratic Debate. So as I've said before, these debates are simply reality TV with somewhat of a practical implication, and oftentimes because of that they get very complicated, uh, and there's much drama to the point where it often gets disorganized, and you know, it's the moderator's job technically to organize it, put the mess back together, uh, and there were multiple moderators at this debate, they did a good job for the most part, but every single one of the candidates on stage support the impeachment inquiry, we'll have more on that coming up, and the reason I say any of this is simply due to the fact that it's, you know, the, the whole thing about the moderators and stuff, is is basically due to the fact that it's hard to analyze any other candidate, uh, other than by going candidate one by one instead of how we did it previously, with topic by topic, and issue by issue, policy by policy, so from henceforth until we get nominees, hopefully we make it to that point in the world, I'm going to be going candidate by candidate, and only by what I subjectively view as the winner's and losers of each respective debate. So, in my ruthless attempt to declutter the clutter to solve the puzzle, I begin with my comprehensive analysis of the New York Times-CNN Democratic debate. Okay, so we'll start with the winners. Bernie Sanders. I'm going to go through him really fast because he didn't have much speaking time, and he was all right. He, had, he was much... Uh, much more calm, much more rational in his thinking, still equally progressive, hit hard at Biden, did a very good job, but, you know, he, he just kind of took it easy, that heart attack kind of did a number on him, and he's starting to become a little bit more wise, the wise old man instead of the crazy old man, uh, so that's what's happening there. All right, next, Pete Buttigieg, he finally hit back, he was, he did pretty well in this debate, I'm not going to say very well, he did pretty well, made some news, he played the politics game a little bit more, he wasn't just logical, simply logical, as he's been in the past. Uh, now, you know, I know I know, I haven't brought her name up yet, but Mr. Buttigieg got into a fiery exchange with Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren about health care, uh, and I'll talk about this in a second, but Elizabeth Warren, throughout this whole entire debate, even though she did pretty well, completely got destroyed. Anyway, here is this uh, altercation that they had together uh, about uh, health care. A yes or no question that didn't get a yes or no answer. Look, this is why people here in the Midwest are so frustrated with Washington in general and Capitol Hill in particular. And we'll hear that uh, question in just a second. Um, uh, but, you know, obviously everyone wants everything for free. And I kind of want to dissect this issue because Pete Buttigieg is one of the candidates that have just basically said, look, I, I we don't have, I'm going to be practical about this. This is what he's going to say. Uh, I'm going to be pragmatic about this. We do not have the funds. We do not have the money to give everyone Medicare. And on top of that, not everyone wants Medicare from the government. So what we're going to do is say, for those who want it, you can get it. For those who don't want it, you don't get it. And that's just how it works. And I happen to think that is 
the best thing. And obviously, everyone wants everything for free. And what Buttigieg is saying, just like Biden and maybe some other moderate Democrats, um, at least when it comes to this, this issue, is people who want it, get it, don't want it, don't get it. In my mind, there's little incorrect uh, or damaging about the statement alone because there would be a lot of people who would be very unhappy with having the government uh, paying for their health care. I speak, of course, of elitists, and maybe even not just elitists, people who have uh, it supplied from their jobs, people who are self-employed, and they're okay paying out of pocket for the best coverage for their family. The thing is, Warren lays out the issue as, okay, we're going to you know kick out the 100 million plus people who already have health care, and we're going to pay for everything. And it may not be good, and we can change the quality of the centers, the quality of the doctors, anything we want, because we have control. It's in our hands. In my humble opinion, and perhaps this is where I become a little bit more uh, moderate, perhaps even conservative, is that funding gives the government a lot of control. Too much control, in my opinion. When the government controls everything, it is not good. When the government controls some things, it is good. Which is why I agree with Buttigieg about his policy, but not fully in the way that he delivers it. For the radical left, the most damaging part of his policy are the last four words of the title. For all who want it. Medicare for all who want it. I, I guess that's uh, five words, right? Yeah, one, two, three. Oh, no, wait, what? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five words. But in his del delivery, <laughs> he tries to turn that into a positive by, as you just heard, asking Warren and subsequently ultra-progressive Democrats why they would divide the country even more uh, if his plan would work fine. He basically says that Warren and the far left are taking this too far, uh, and I, I just don't really understand why he's trying to turn the biggest, most negative thing for the most, the majority amount of people into a positive. He made that same point more blatantly in a prior debate, as heard on episode number 107 of the Jade Rorty podcast. The, the problem, Senator Sanders, with that damn bill that you wrote, that. and that Senator Warren backs, is that it doesn't trust the American people. I trust you to choose what makes the most sense for you, not my way or the highway. Now, look, I think we do have to go far beyond tinkering with the ACA. I propose Medicare for all who want it. We take a version of Medicare, we make it available for the American people, and if we're right as progressives that that public alternative is better, then the American people will figure that out for themselves. I trust the American people to make the right choice for them. Why don't you? Okay, so you see it's very scripted there, as with many of the things, especially in this debate that he said, but it was good delivery. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think, I, I think he should kind of just be flat out and honest like he is with pretty much everything else and say, look, this is a weakness for the radical left, but I personally think that the best solution in practicality and being pragmatic, we must have a system that is, you know, choice-based, basically, and not turning into a thing about trust in the American people. That's my humble opinion. That's what I think. I don't think he should make it even into an issue about that because all that does is divide the Democrats even more. It's subdivisions upon subdivisions upon subdivisions, and you don't even get to the the, the primary division, which is President Donald J. Trump. Yeah. All right, so that's Pete Buttigieg. And the next winner, in my opinion, even though she got pounded, was Elizabeth Warren. She still managed to do quite well in the debate. She's now being deemed the front runner, front runner whether or not the, the numbers say it, the polls say it. She's one of the few candidates where in terms of actual delivery or personality or really any feasible perspective on likability, there's little wrong with her uh, objectively. Now, I'm comparing that to <laughs> Biden, who either accidentally lies or slows down randomly, Bernie, who's insane but calmed down recently, Kamala, who's basically insulting and frequently annoying, and Trump, who's an outright awful human being. So yeah, compared to all of them, she did quite well overall, but specifically in this debate, particularly because she spoke the most. 
And you may be surprised about who actually made it in the top five speakers during the debate. Elizabeth Warren had 22 minutes and 32 seconds as the number one speaker. Joe Biden, no surprise. Number two, 17 minutes and 30 seconds. Amy Klobuchar, why is she in the top three? 13 minutes and 53 seconds. Bernie Sanders, 13 minutes and 20 seconds. Pete Buttigieg, 16 seconds less at 13 minutes and 4 seconds. And Beto O'Rourke, 2 seconds less at 13 minutes and 2 seconds. And when I sh- when I say she got pounded, it was all around her answer, or rather lack of answer, when it came to the question of health care. She dodged it, or at least vaguely answered it, uh, in which uh, Buttigieg and Warren then attacked her on, uh, sorry, you know, Buttigieg and Klobuchar then attacked her on. Anyway, here she is. Will you raise taxes on the middle class for pay, to pay for it, yes or no? So I have made clear what my principles are here, and that is costs will go up for the wealthy and for big corporations and for hardworking middle class families. Costs will go down. So you heard him ask a yes or no question, which, of course, prompted that earlier response you heard from Buttigieg. A yes or no question that didn't get a yes or no answer. So that's, you know, uh, mad, madness on her part. Amy Klobuchar also uh, felt the urge to chime in. At least Bernie's being honest here and saying how he's going to pay for this and that taxes are going to go up. And I'm sorry, Elizabeth, but you have not said that. And I think we owe it to the American people to tell them where we're going to send the invoice. So, I mean, you know, she she was hit pretty hard there. It's definitely a damage. Uh, she got a lot of applause, though, on her views about, like, income inequality and other policies as well. She was definitely a winner in my book. If you actually watch the debate, you will see why. And currently stands as one of the least of all evils, in my opinion. I think Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, and a couple others stand up there in the least of all evil as well, in my opinion. All right, time now for the losers. Beto O'Rourke, no surprise here, is the top, top loser in my humble, humble opinion. Other Democrats recognize this too. Pete Buttigieg lectured Beto, and it went particularly well for Buttigieg, mostly due to the fact that the preface from Beto and perhaps even the sequel from Beto was a little bit weak as well. I don't need lessons from you. Speaking to uh, to Beto. Political or personal. Everyone on this stage. Actually, let's just start that today because I think it was cut out. Anyway, Pete Buttigieg lecturing Beto O'Rourke uh, about courage, and uh, it was just it went terribly for Beto. I don't need lessons from you on courage, political or personal. Everyone on this stage is determined to get something done. Everyone on this stage recognizes, or at least I thought we did, that the problem is not other Democrats who don't agree with your particular idea of how to handle this. The problem is the National Rifle Association and their enablers in Congress, and we should be united in taking the fight to them. That's, okay. that's, that's a mischaracterization. That's a mischaracterization, in my opinion. I'm sure it was, uh, but that's what had happened right there. Uh, he was a bit you know, hypocritical, and I'm speaking of uh, Beto here. Uh, Beto was a bit hypocritical of his remarks uh, about Warren, too. He clearly, he certainly, uh, you know, said that he was, uh, that Warren was one of the most punitive candidates on the Democratic side, uh, perhaps rightfully so, but I don't, I don't know, I don't think he had to attack uh, Warren for it. In fact, I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about that. He, you know, I don't know, to remind you, though, that the thing that really was great about Beto was, uh, was that one moment that he had, that awesome moment about gun control and AR-15s, what was viewed as awesome commonly. Uh, But that was just a moment. Everything else is just basically fluff and swear words. So to remind you of that awesome moment in the ABC debate, this is what he said when asked about gun control and whether or not he will actually uh, take people's AR-15s and other large, uh, you know, mass shooting weapons used commonly in mass shootings. It's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield. If... 
The high impact, high velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. All right, so of course that's a very Democratic audience there, but Republicans are completely scared. He went on to say like some things saying like, you know, Republicans are kind of surprisingly okay with this policy. That's what he said. He said he went to gun shows. I don't know about that, but uh, you know, it's, he had the perfect preface, uh, the best lead up, and the most justifiable answer in that question, in that moment. But that was just a moment. Everything else, basically, besides that, has been utterly terrible. So, my advice is either get out of the government or run for Senate, and I don't say that sarcastically. Uh, in my opinion, he does not have the strength, the synchronicity, the correct delivery, or frankly, the eloquency to be the next president of the United States. Uh, and neither do most people, including myself. I'm just saying that uh, in my humble opinion. All right, on to the next loser in this debate. Tulsi Gabbard. She was, just like Buttigieg, another candidate who had 20 minutes of fame, but now that fame is over by no fault of her own until she furthered her lack of fame in this debate when uh, she 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 said something that was really kind of strange. She came out really, really strong, but against the institutions that were hosting her, not Trump nor any of the other candidates standing beside her. She literally went after, uh, after CNN and the New York Times. It was uh, justified, I suppose, but a bit too aggressive, especially about when and how she said it and got totally off the subject. This wasn't even a topic of discussion, and she attacked CNN and New York Times who were hosting her, and of course, they're not going to be more favorable if they know that she is attacking uh, them. I mean, look at how they've treated Trump and how Trump has treated them. New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, just two days ago, the New York Times put out a, an article saying that I'm a, a Russian asset and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. So yeah, I mean, she clearly has hatred for the mainstream media, and you can be mad about, you know, opinion columnists twisting your words, but if you get mad at those types of stories and, you know, waste time of others doing it, you most likely do not have the capability and the strength to be the next president of the United States, as evidenced by the uh, commander-in-chief right now. So, yeah, no way. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard just totally threw it out the door on a useless little remark that she made. You know, really, no one cares. People are going to be able, you know, hopefully you have trust in the American people that they're smart enough to make those distinctions for themselves. Uh, but that tanked her in my mind and, and in the polls' mind. So that's what's happening right now. All right, next loser in this debate, Joe Biden. You know, Joey Joey did all right, but he, he certainly is not a winner. He tried a little bit too hard, uh, but he still retains, you know, in the overall aspect. He's still doing, I think, in my mind, pretty well. He clearly tried to be young and quick again in everything he has. It is, you know, almost as, and I've said this before, it's almost as if he knows that many classic, moderate, not radical, mostly Christian people are going to vote for him by and large just because, uh, you know, faith uh, and belief and certainly plays a role in many people's decisions, but he just needs that other sliver, which is quite more than a sliver, uh, of millennials and others to vote for him. 
he tries that, probably told by his campaign staff to do that. It just remains in the forefront of his mind when it's not consumed when, with other things. I've said it before, this idea for Joe Biden is nothing new. What is new is when he went against, went against Elizabeth Warren uh, in this debate uh, and expected to get an immediate applause, but rather a humorous guffaw from the peanut gallery. Okay, so the first part here is what you're about to hear. It's when Biden is going on quite the enthusiastic proclamation that he legislatively advocated for votes regarding the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I don't want to waste your time, so I'm not going to air the preface, but uh, after a little bit back and forth, Warren and Biden are arguing, uh, and Biden trying to put an end to the whole mess, hoped it would go like this. I agreed with the great job she did, and I went on the floor and got you votes. I've got votes for that bill. I convinced people to vote for it. So let's get those things straight, too. Okay, so uh, that's how he hoped it would go. In reality, it actually went like this. I agreed with the great job she did. And I went on the floor and got you votes. I got votes for that bill. I convinced people to vote for it. So let's get those things straight, too. So he was obviously very, you know, hoping for an applause right there. Uh, You know. When you restate things at a louder volume, you you usually like things, and you hope for applause. Warren had the very amusing, perhaps the most amusing comeback in this whole entire debate, saying that she was very grateful to President Obama for the bill being signed into law. I am deeply grateful to President Obama, who fought so hard to make sure that agency was passed into law. Just the way she says it. I mean, she knows she's trolling. She's literally the, the, probably the biggest troll in this whole entire race, uh, you know, in actuality. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, the only reason I say actuality is probably because, like, you know, people say, oh, Andrew Yang is a troll. But, like, she is she's legitimately a troll, and she she's knowingly a troll as well. Uh, so, yeah, th- those are the three winners and three losers. Final thoughts, my, my opinion is basically... Uh, the Democrats seem to be caught up in this idea that they have to hate each other, uh, and they kind of do for political reasons, but they need to bash Trump more, because the the idea is like, okay, people basically, uh, you know, before the nominations have their idea of who they want to support, or at least have, you know, a couple that they're considering, uh, and, you know, they have to understand that, you know, the the majority of the American people are not going to get into the nitty-gritty about every single person's policy. They just want to make sure that Trump gets out, and they want to have the best person to replace him. So if they talked about what they would do to replace the idiotic things that Trump has done, then perhaps, they, you know, their poll numbers would go up. And instead of, you know, I mean, this has been brought up, but it's never really, no one's ever acted upon it. They're too focused on fighting against each other. Uh, they all have a common goal, but they don't act like it, so they just need to start acting like it, and I suppose uh, everything will be better for them, in my very, very, very humble opinion. Okay, so uh, we are now, let's see, 26 minutes and 47 seconds into this fine podcast episode here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for the internet radio listeners, and it is 8.27 on the Jade Doherty Podcast, and we'll be right back on Friday, October 18th. 2019, thank you so much for listening. Uh, It is 8.27. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. Podcast episode number eight, uh, episode number one hundred twelve. 
8.36 a.m. Friday, October 18th, 2019. We just wrapped up our 2020 presidential coverage and analysis. Welcome back to all those listening on the internet radio. A little bit of an extended break there. We're back. Uh, we're going to talk about impeachment now. New developments in the impeachment inquiry, in the House impeachment inquiry. Very, very interesting developments. A reporter asked the question on the issue that needed to be asked, whether or not it may be more efficient and perhaps better historically, whether or not to vote Trump out or to actually impeach him in response uh, Pelosi whipped out the script quite artfully. No, I'm saying, at what point might you say, let's just... Let no, no, we, no, the voters are not going to decide whether we honor our oath of office. They, they already decided that in the last election. Oh, right. The timeline will depend on the truth line, Ooh, and that's what we're looking for. Okay, so, uh, you know, we kind of went by, uh, like, a what statement, by an O statement, by how, by script, by natural. That's the form, and that's machine politics. You know, everyone just follows the script uh, generally when they're talking to the media. This is actually the question um, that needed to be asked. In many ways, you cannot answer it without uh, offending some people. So in that case, you must divert to the answer that is uh, the least, that hurts the least people. And that's exactly what she did. So distinguishing impeachment and voting issues out. Good, bad, pros, cons. What do you think? 312-625-8492 is the phone number. We will read your text uh, next episode. I suppose a pro is that Pelosi takes the responsibility for upholding the Constitution, as uh, people who voted her into office have decided her to do. And uh, the con is that it takes impeachment out of the people's hands, but I suppose that's just how democracy works. That's the. That's just how it works. Acting White House uh, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney added uh, fuel to the fire for absolutely no reason at a rare White House press conference uh, in which he basically admitted <laughs> to all the things the Democrats are accusing him, you know, Trump for in front of everyone. And, you know, he, of course, immediately redacted the statement. But he, here's what he said. Very amusing. But he also mentioned to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server. Absolutely. No question about that. I asked him to clarify. So the demand for an investigation into the Democrats was part of the reason that he it was ordered un- to withhold funding to Ukraine. The the look back to what happened in 2016 was, was part of the thing that he was worried about in corruption with that nation. And, and withholding, absolutely and withholding the funding. Yeah, okay. which, which ultimately then flowed. <laughs> but to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. Right. It is... Funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server happens as well. We we do we do that all the time. Oh, so really? foreign policy. And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. Okay, so <laughs> uh, Trump's legal team immediately issued a statement saying all of what he says has nothing to do with what we're doing. He's just a spokesperson who has no connection to the law. And he Mulvaney had to actually make a statement too, saying uh, I went a little bit too far. He shouldn't say that, though. Get over it. You know, basically what he's saying is uh, treason is normalcy here in this administration. You, just, you guys are just reacting to it too poorly. I mean, you knew this was coming. You knew betrayal and uh, po- domestic political advantage, exploiting international uh, opponents or even not opponents or no allies for political gain. That's normal here. He basically admitted to the quid pro quo of saying uh, to Ukraine that they need to start an internal investigation of the Bidens. Otherwise, they will not receive government-funded aid money. Pay attention to the end of that there as well. He's literally admitting to political influence and foreign policy. He said, get over it because that's normal. Normal and normalcy, I suppose. But 
It's strange in this context. Even Trump disagrees with Mulvaney. He literally, uh, Mulvaney literally contradicted what Trump has been saying ever since this investigation was started, and even since the idea of a quid pro quo was brought up on October 2nd, Trump said... There was no quid pro quo at all. So that's what, uh, Schiff, that's what, uh... That's what Mulvaney said. And then Adam Schiff uh, comes in and says, you know, because this is such a kind of like a, a bigger deal and a momentous up to, uh, uptick in the impeachment inquiry, uh, Adam Schiff responds by saying this. Things have just gone from very, very bad to much, much worse. So I guess he kind of states the obvious there. Now, of course, instead of uh, admitting blame or fault or retracting a statement, the Trump administration is basically blaming the media for misconstruing the facts. And uh, that's what's happening there. So what, you know, happened from there is basically, uh, according to the AP, the acting White House Chief of Staff, Mick Mulvaney, of course, says his comments about the Trump administration's decision to hold up military aid to Ukraine have been misconstrued by the media. Mulvaney issued uh, a statement from the president's outside legal counsel, tried to, uh, uh, sorry, after the president's outside legal counsel, tried to distance itself from Mulvaney's earlier comments at the press briefing you just heard. Mulvaney now says there was no quid pro quo between the Ukrainian military aid and that country's willingness to investigate the 2016 U.S. election. He added that Trump never told him to withhold money until the Ukrainians took action related to a server Democrats used in the 2016 election. Trump, for some reason, I don't know why the heck he would do this, because I'm sure this is just a front, says he still has, quote-unquote, a lot of confidence, unquote, in Mulvaney. So, I don't know what's happening there. Certainly some uh, some worries, I, I would say, in the Trump administration, you know. Admitting to the biggest crime possible <laughs> on national TV, as instructed to do otherwise by the most powerful person on the planet. And he still works there. I don't know. All right, uh, we got to take a break again. It's 847, uh, Jade Rory Podcast, Friday, October 18th, 2019. Um... We're going to come back, talk about Elizabeth Warren's uh, new Facebook ads, and also Lara Trump, Lara Trump, whatever her name is, is uh, made some very stupid comments on uh, Fox Business, just out of complete and total ignorance. We'll talk about all that and more coming up on uh, episode number 112 of the Jade Doherty Podcast. It's 847, and this is the Jade Doherty Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Episode number uh, 112 of the January Podcast, Friday, October 18th, 2019, 8.49 a.m. on the internet radio and on the podcast. Uh, new developments of 2020 segment. It's time for this week in media on the Jay Doherty Podcast. Democratic presidential candidate and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has trolled Facebook's user policy by putting out an intentionally false ad of uh, complete amusement. So, the ad that she put out, uh, and I'm not going to air it on here because I don't want to endorse Elizabeth Warren, the quote says, Breaking news, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook just endorsed President Donald Trump for re-election. You're probably shocked, and what you might be thinking is, how could this possibly be true? Well, it's not. But what Zuckerberg has done is give Donald Trump to uh, free reign on this platform and then play Facebook and then pay Facebook gobs of money to push out their lies to American voters. That's what the ad said. Um, the guy who's kind of in charge of this, this policy, uh, was uh, made prominent in public by Facebook's vice president of global affairs and communication named uh, Nick Clegg. 
He wrote in a statement, quote, We have had this policy on the books for years now, posted publicly on our site, and under our eligibility guidelines, this means that we will not send organic content for ads from politicians to our third-party uh, fact-checking partners for review. However, when a politician shares previously debunked content, including links, videos, and photos, we plan to demote that content, display related information from fact-checkers, and reject its inclusion in advertisements. You can find more about the uh, third-party fact-checking uh, and program uh, and content eligibility at the place, the link that he uh, put out. So basically the thing is uh, any advertiser, any political advertiser, Facebook allows them to basically say whatever the heck they want, uh, you know, as long as it, it doesn't incite violence, basically is what it is. Uh, and that includes lies, of course. Um, and I suppose it's part of their plan to... Um, become less biased, obviously, you know, an ultra-liberal Silicon Valley company, uh, and, you know, I don't want to criticize them for doing this, but then criticize them when they do something the opposite of this, so I suppose this is a good policy as just being taken advantage of, as it maybe should be. Warren did use a disclaimer, and obviously she admitted in that ad, as you heard when I read the script, that uh, you know, that was a lie, it was not, she was not saying truthfully that Mark Zuckerberg actually endorsed President Trump, uh, but that's how it worked, and she used a disclaimer as well, and I'm sure Trump will take advantage of this in some light, I don't think he'll purposely say, you know, Barack Obama, uh, is a Russian asset, and there's leaked communications between, you know, them talking or something like that, or, you know, Joe Biden or anything, but he'll certainly, he'll certainly, you know, lie as he's done 13,000 times in his presidency. I would not be surprised if that's the reality. So that's what is happening there. All right, we got to move on to this terrible story. I, I really, I, I had to talk about it because I was really mad about it, but Laura Trump, whatever her name is, she is the campaign advisor or a campaign advisor for Trump and also his son Eric's wife. She made yet another very ignorant comment on TV yesterday, which is, universally insulting to many, 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 many people. President Trump's acquiescence to Turkey's move to send troops deep inside Syrian territory That's has Fox only, in only one week's time, turned into a bloody carnage, forced the abandonment of a successful five-year-long American project to keep the peace on a volatile border, and given an unanticipated victory to four American adversaries, Russia, Iran, the Syrian government, and the Islamic State. Your response tonight. That's well, Shannon, I think we should start with the fact that if you ask the average American out there, I think they would have to Google who are the Kurds and why is America even over there fighting this war? Uh, okay, so that's, you know, not only offensive to the Kurds, but also the American people who she's trying to get to vote for them. I mean, she's, you know, kind of ignorantly assuming the ignorance of the American people, which is not good. I mean, I you know, she may be right. I don't know, but... Uh, it's just not, it's not a good thing to say at all, because there are people, you know, there's Trump supporters whose sons and daughters are out there fighting in that war, there are people, there are Kurdish, I mean, you know, we're fighting off ISIS, America is kind of this uh, amazing image of a phenomenal icon saving the Middle East, as they've done, not specifically with the Middle East in the past, but in Germany, and World War II, and in so many other places before, so it's very, I mean, it's ignorant, it's, it's just very bad comment, uh, and I don't know, I don't think this tops the infamous, terrible, uh, unintelligent comment that she made 
on Fox Business in April, the ignoramus said this on uh, Fox Business. That videotape reminds me of what happened in Europe when no. there was a march across Europe by a right. million people mm. who wanted to get into okay, Western Europe. Angela Merkel Five, let them in, open borders, and let them in. It was the downfall of, of Germany. It, it was it one really of the was. worst things that ever happened to Germany. Okay. This president knows that. He's trying to prevent that from happening here. But Congress has got to get their act together and do the right thing here for the American people. Okay, so that's literally what she said on national TV, uh, on, on Fox Business. She said those words. That, that was the downfall of Germany. One of the worst things to happen. I mean, I mean, think before you speak seriously. I mean, not the millions of Jews murdered. Not the thousands of mentally and physically disabled murdered. Not the state-sponsored oppression of businesses. Not the development of an execution of mobile killing centers. Not the repeated mass shootings ex executed on Jills, Jews killing over 1.5 million people. Not the state-organized and sponsored setup of mass murder and genocide. Not the 42,000 ghettos and camps set up specifically to kill people. You are carrying a welcoming refugee policy that you can have a disagreement to uh, the most infamous and largest genocide in the history of humanity. And saying that's one of the best things, the, the worst things that ever happened in Germany. I mean, think before you speak. Uh, you know, on a broader scale, even looking back, you know, on the actual policy that she's referencing, uh, you know, one of the United States' mistakes, uh, you know, in the early 1930s and, and 40s, uh, you know, I mean, the Nazis ascended into power in 1933, Hitler becomes the Fuhrer and all these things in the late 30s, early 40s, uh, but just like many of the countries there, uh, you know, at that time, we did not have a refugee policy at all during the rise of Nazism, and, you know, Jews depended on America for, you know, coming here, and many still do. Uh, but our system was based on outdated quotas and, and entirely population-based. So it again reinforces her ignorance that she would even attack another country on a uh, on the existence of an immigration policy uh, when you know all you have to do is open up a history book and understand the broader implication of what she's saying. Um, Business Insider. Uh, at that time, said the president has repeatedly slammed the German leader's decision and accused her of ruining Germany as a result. He falsely claimed last year that a crime in Germany is way up as a result of the migration. While overall crime fell by 9% in uh, Germany 2017, 25-year low violent crime rose to 10% in 2015, 2016. Germany's domestic debate over immigration policy has also fueled the right-wing rise of uh, nationalism and a political party alternative for Germany that has been tied and cheered by some neo-Nazis. So, you know, I, I don't think it's relevant, but it just, you know, it degrades the credibility and the integrity and the intelligence, rightfully so, of Miss Laura Trump. I'm not saying Laura, I'm saying Laura. It's literally spelled L-A-R-A. And she's mayor. she's a uh, advisor to President Trump and uh, for the campaign and also happens to be Eric Trump's wife. So I don't know. That's what's happening there. I just think uh, I saw it the other day and I want to bring it up in this podcast because it made me a little bit, a little bit angry, but uh, I just wanted to talk about it there at the end. All right, 42 minutes, 58 seconds right now. We're about to be 43 minutes. Hopefully, we'll have a clean ending at about 45 minutes on this fine podcast here. We'll be back next week for an episode number 113 of the Jade Ray Podcast. This is episode number 112. 
Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your listenership. If you want to learn more or hear more, j-story.com, thedortyfiles.com. You can follow me on social media. And uh, also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast anywhere. And you can actually listen to it on your Alexa if you have an Alexa or an Echo device. Don't mean to set off anyone's devices there, but if you have an Echo device, you can certainly listen on there. And I strongly recommend it. You just got to enable the J-Dorty podcast skill. And there it goes. Thank you for listening. This is the J-Dorty podcast. The J. Doherty Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by J. Doherty. TJDP is voiced by Newsmic VoiceOver, hosted by Blueberry, and edited with Audition. The J. Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright J. Doherty 2019. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for weekly discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the J. Doherty Podcast.